Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. I would like to thank our latest Patreon first off. We got one, I think, yesterday. Daniel. What up, Daniel? Hey, Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, And thank you to all of our other contributors. I'm going to be thanking some of our um, earlier contributors next week, I think. Okay. Yeah. Just thank them again. And we should come up with more perks. Yeah, we're we'll working on that. Yep. We're coming up with more perks. Um, great. Well, Rachel, our intrepid Corey's reporter. <laughs> First of all, can we just say that that was an insane week last week? Oh my where god! We recorded that episode, and then was it the next day or? It was the next day. The next day after we posted our episode, yeah, um, we had a breaking news on a case that we just talked about. Right. So Rachel's going to talk about that. Okay. So last Tuesday, actor Dominic. Brashia, I think that's how you pronounce his name, accused Charlie Sheen of being the guy on the set of Lucas that raped Corey Haim when he was 13 years old. So like Desi just said, this story broke literally like a day after we had posted our Two Corys episode. So we were both like texting each other like, holy shit, did you just see this? When I saw it, I was like, is this about our episode? <laughs> That's where my ego went. I was right. like, because it was such a weird coincidence. It like, was a really weird coincidence. Um, and well, so, we were discussing that incident on the show. Exactly. And, um, also, I was asking you questions. I was like, well, who was it? Was it a PA? Was it a da 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 da? And it did not specify in the book. It no. just said one of the adults on set. So it could have been anyone. Right. We didn't know if it was the director, if it was an extra, if it was right. who knew. So, a Apparently, according to this uh, fellow former child actor, Dominic, that it was Charlie Sheen. And uh, soon after that, um, a copy of his divorce papers started floating around from 2015 from his divorce with Denise Richards. Richards. Maybe it was 2005, actually. Yeah. It was 2005. Anyway, so this copy starts floating around the internet like, oh, well, look at this. This could be a clue linking Charlie like it could be confirmation because in the divorce papers it had stated that Denise Richards had found porn on Charlie's computer of really young looking boys so that could have been an indication of his um, pedophilic nature um, as well as that she knew that he liked looking at really young um, girls as well right so and of course Charlie Sheen is a documented domestic abuser. So this kind of just all seemed to make a lot of sense, I guess, for a lot of people. Uh, It didn't seem so far out of the realm of possibility, I should say. Uh, So It's kind of shocking to me that we never heard about that in the divorce papers uh, outside of the Corey Haim thing. Like, right. Don't you think isn't I, it shocking? Like, is you think shocking. people usually look those things over with a fine tooth comb, right? Like we didn't hear about that, and uh, maybe it was just because there was so much stuff that he was right. up to. He was so had so much crazy stuff going on. But um, you're right; it was kind of weird that we didn't hear about that. So Sheen, of course, um, denied these allegations. And Dominic also, uh, the accuser, also said that not only did Sheen rape Haim behind the trailers that one day, but that uh, also they had had an ongoing sexual relationship together, Haim and Sheen, that it had happened 
multiple times and that Corey Haim was in love with Charlie Sheen and that Sheen got over it, quote unquote, and left Haim heartbroken. Mm. This is, yeah, this is what, it's and of sad. course, you know, it's not uncommon for an abuse victim. If that is the story, it's not uncommon for an abuse victim to fall in love with someone right. who's abusing them. So, uh, like I said, Charlie Sheen, he denied these allegations. And <clears throat> on Friday, Corey Haim's mom went on Dr. Oz and denied these claims, saying that it was actually, dun, 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 Dominic who was abusing Corey Haim. Oh. So the accuser becomes the accusee. I had heard something about this Dominic guy before. He's kind of sketch, right? Well, I did a little digging, and I found that last year in 2016, there were some, it was a, like people were speculating that he was one of the two Corey's abusers. Oh, okay. So he his name was already out there. Right. And I watched the interview on Dr. Oz with Judy Haim. That's Corey's mom's name. I watched the interview and she's like, kind of brushes off the Charlie Sheen thing. She doesn't go into that much detail, but she basically is like adamant, like, no, it was this boy, Dominic, and he abused my son and Char uh, and Corey Haim told me everything. My son told me everything. Right. He was an open book with me. I mean, she sort of sounded in denial about a lot of stuff, right. to be truth be told. But um, also this week, uh, Judy Haim traded barbs with Feldman, calling him a scam artist for wanting to raise $10 million to reveal Hollywood pedophiles, um, which I think we briefly touched on. Yeah. I don't know. And I I honestly don't understand why what, what Corey Feldman needs, needs $10 million for other than he needs just wants $10 million. Right. I don't understand that. Well, clearly he could do it for free. But he's trying to make some money. He's trying to make some money off this. So whatever. Judy Haim called him a scam artist. And then Feldman took to Twitter and said, this is all caps. Just want everyone to know. You guys, I don't ever say anything bad about anyone. But Judy Haim is a bad woman who is ve who vehemently projects evil. <laughs> Which I feel like is, whoa, that's like harsh. But um, I guess they don't like each other. Yeah. So that's the latest, and I also just discovered that tomorrow, uh, Monday the 13th, Corey Feldman will be back on Dr. Oz. I don't know why these people love Dr. Oz so much, but he's going to be back on Dr. Oz to <clears throat> apparently reveal pedophiles on the show. Okay, so we'll have an update on uh, that. We will have an update on that by Thursday, and I will be watching tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's it. Um, okay. Awesome. Thank you for that update, Miss Rachel Fisher. You're so welcome. Um, so this week, um, our main episode is kind of like a little bit, um, it's a crazy story, but it's a, a little bit under the radar probably as yeah. far as a Hollywood um, I think so. crime story goes. Uh, the actress um, involved in it is not super famous, but you might know her. Um, so anyways, the actress's name is Susan Cabot. Uh, she was born in 1927 on July 9th, and she was actually born Harriet Shapiro to a Russian Jewish uh, family in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, she actually came from a very troubled life. Um, early on, her mom was um, committed 
uh, to a mental institution and her father kind of left after that. So she ended up actually going through um, over eight foster homes as a child um, before eventually graduating. Um, and this is in New York City at this point. She had moved from Boston. And then she started working as an illustrator and she supplemented that income working as a singer and in theater. So that's kind of where she sort of got the theater bug. Um, she actually made her film debut in 1947 in a movie called Kiss of Death, which was filmed in New York City. So it was kind of like a bit part that she just sort of landed by accident. Um, from there, she kind of uh, moved into TV and was spotted by a Hollywood talent scout who took her into Hollywood for a screen test, like the age old thing. Like they don't have, does that, does that even happen anymore? <laughs> I don't know. My, my grandma did screen tests. I know. In the 40s. Right? I mean, it just seems like such an old school thing, right? Yeah. So eventually she started working for Columbia Pictures before moving over to Universal where she did have an exclusive contract and she did a bunch of like shitty B Western right. kind of uh, low level type Western movies. Uh, she did eventually like she did like acting. So mm -hmm. she was a frustrated actress being in these shitty movies. Right. So she asked to be released from her contract and um, that was when she moved back to New York. And she kind of resumed whatever minor stage career she had. But she did love acting, so it was more about that. Uh, it was in 1959 that she was actually um, came back to Hollywood to do the movie that she's probably most well-known for. And it's quite a shitty movie. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but it's uh, I find it to be an interesting movie. It's a Roger Corman movie. So we all know Roger Corman. He did very low-budget, uh, crappy movies that are kind of entertaining in a bad movie we love yeah. <laughs> kind of way. Some are better than others. This one was called The Wasp Woman. Okay, The Wasp Woman. <laughs> this I haven't seen this movie. Have you seen this movie I or even heard of it? I've never seen it. Okay, so I actually kind of want to see this movie because it sounds fucking insane. I'll probably get stoned, but Rachel can have a fucking whatever LaCroix or something. All of a uh, so the wasp, the wasp woman is about um, a woman who is the founder and owner of a very large cosmetic company, uh, and she's aging. So when she starts aging, her sales guys start going down because I guess in the movie, people don't think like the products work anymore because right. she's getting old. Okay. So this movie is already problematic. I honestly <laughs> already love the premise though. The premise it's, is amazing. It's very right? Death Becomes Her, so I already Actually, love yeah, it. It's really good. So um, she, uh, there's like obviously a scientist who works at her company who's like in charge of creating the serums and creams and whatnot, right? He comes upon some extract enzymes in the royal jelly of the queen wasp that can reverse the aging process. Someone I was reading, like in my research, called it wasp jizz. And I'm like, that person is my soulmate. <laughs> wasp jizz. So she starts rubbing wasp jizz on her face. To fund further research, she becomes like the test uh, yeah. experimented. I'm going into this movie because it's too insane. I have to. Um... Of course, it's going too slow for her, so she he slathers the jizz on more. more. Jizz, she gets a more huge. Jizz. That's the origin of the word facial. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and she keeps injecting in herself, and she's she becomes it too. She's injecting it, slathering it, doing it all, uh, and then she turns into basically a bloodthirst 
nasty murdering wasp creature a wasp woman is she kind of like also look like a wasp too yes. Does she take on wasp features you have to, we have to post photos of this because oh, it is literally the most unbelievably bad costume makeup that I've ever seen in any of these low budget oh. kind of horror movies. Like, have you seen the original fifties uh, version the, of the fly? Yes. It's like that level, it's, but yeah. even cheaper. Oh. Like, uh, it's like that it. version took a shit. <laughs> they made a costume. I'm all it. over this movie. Yeah. This movie does sound very bad. Um, I mean, then lots of things happen. The scientist gets into a car accident. She thinks he dies 20 years later. He comes back. And she's even more of a, a murderous wasp-like creature. Damn. And then he throws carbolic acid at her face and pushes her out a window and she dies. So that's the... Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus, Desi. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so that's her big... Oh, this makeup is terrible. Oh, she looked it up. Okay. Oh, we're definitely posting this. Okay. As interesting as that movie sounds, okay. and it does sound crazy interesting to me, her story is even crazier. Um, so a little bit about her personal life. Um, she had like a very short Hollywood career that we've already discussed. I think it spanned literally just over 10 years, but it was not consistent. Yeah. Um, she did have a few love affairs. She got married in 1944 to her first husband. They divorced in 1951. During, uh, this period, she also was romantically linked to King Hussein of Jordan. Wow. Like when he was very young and his, I don't know if people remember this he was quite like a playboy when he was young and then he did eventually uh, yeah. marry a american woman and became queen uh he actually dumped her because he found out that she was jewish what a dick i know <laughs> but i mean he might be a nice guy and i'm not saying that that's not a dick move are you being a, a but nazi like, apologist <laughs> i'm being a nazi apologist <laughs> to be in that part of the region of the Middle East and to marry a Jewish woman would not have gone over well with his country. I mean, just like, I'm not defending him necessarily, but I think he really did like her. And but it was he just couldn't kind of, marry he her. Couldn't because politically it would be a disaster. We need to get a political scientist on this show. Right. So I'm not defending him, but or, it, it's not historian. necessarily like his prejudice, but he did go along with it. So, I mean, yeah. but it was, you know, the 1950s. Um, so, she did have a son in 1961 and the son, the paternity of the son is sort of not officially ever been, um, verified. Could it he, be Jordan or wait? Uh, I mean name? that the, he's, he's, the, he's King the King of Jordan. Okay. Right. King Hussein. Uh, it was rumored at some point that it was him. It was right. rumored that it was her first husband. Uh, she did end up marrying in 1968 someone named Michael Roman, and he basically took on raising the son, yeah. whose name was Timothy Scott Roman. So he he did have a father, but it was not necessarily his yeah. bio dad. The other interesting thing about Timothy Scott Roman, her her son, was that he was born with dwarfism. So he was a dwarf. Right, I know this. In the um, and a lot of the research I said people pointed out that she was five two, but I don't think that has anything to do with dwarfism. <laughs> like, I don't that's, know why. That's like not yeah. an abnormal height. But that was always like mentioned as if that was the cause. <laughs> like she was really short. I was like, but that's I not. I don't think that's how dwarf that works. That's not how dwarfism works. <laughs> no. So, but thank you for your other research that I'm assuming is good. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, so in the, um, in the eighties, uh, 
Susan Cabot and her son, she got divorced eventually from Michael Roman. I think it went through in 1983. But her and her son basically lived in this house in Encino. Yeah. By themselves, just the two of them. And according to, uh, you know, people at the time, she was, she suffered severe mental illness. And she actually kind of always suffered through throughout her life with, with uh, mental illness, but it was really bad depression at this point with suicidal thoughts. Um, and she had paranoia and just yeah. a lot of fear. So they were pretty much homeward, homeward bound in that house. Uh, it was very sunset Boulevard. Right. Kind of situation. In fact, I did read that she was, um, going to a psychologist and under a psychologist's care, but the psychologist actually found her so troubled and ill that the sessions became, according to the um, psychologist, emotionally draining. Wow. <laughs> Which for a psychologist uh, like you have one would job. have to be like, well, how bad could it be when you're always listening to people bitch and moan or have worse, you know what I mean? Like that's I basically even, your job. That's incredible. Um, with this mental illness, obviously... Can she, you imagine being dumped <laughs> by your psychologist too? Is it unbelievable? Like, I have literally never up. heard of such a thing. Like, yeah, you think if you're getting paid, who cares, right? Like, right. I mean, that's your job. Anyways, so she, as she was became more and more mentally ill, she became less able to care for herself. The interior of the home was literally hoarders, like covered with trash, spoiled food, etc. Wow. Okay, so she's living in this home. Uh, with her son, who I think it's like 1986. He's 23 years old at that time. They never went anywhere without each other. They were always together. According to neighbors, he was very dependent on her. Another neighbor described them as being very, very close. Um, and someone else said, you never really heard anything out of that house. Um, so they did kind of keep to themselves, but neighbors noticed that there was something kind of odd yeah. going on in the house. <clears throat> another neighbor described Cabot as being a pleasant person, but that she was, this is a quote, she was ellipsis different. <laughs> so it's kind of a nice way of saying she was probably very disturbed yes. individual. And it was noticeable. Um, anyways, so by the end of 1986, in December of 1986, uh, her mental health, had deteriorated even more significantly. Like she yeah. was just on a downward spiral. Well, she wasn't being treated. Right. Like, so she's just living in this home. Okay. On the night of December 10th, 1986 at 10 30 PM, the police responded to a call that there was an intruder at the home of Susan Cabot and her son. Um, when they, Timothy, sorry, when they arrived, Timothy told them that a tall, this is quoted, a tall Latino with curly hair dressed like a Japanese ninja warrior had attacked them both. Wait, what? <laughs> Can you say that again? A tall Latino with curly hair dressed like a Japanese ninja warrior. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just this trying to This is the guy <laughs> who invaded in their home. This is what Timothy is telling the police. Okay. That a Japanese, a, a Latino with curly hair dressed like a Japanese ninja warrior came into their home, attacked them. He robbed them of $70,000 in cash. And then uh, Timothy told the cops that he fought off the intruder and was knocked out. Uh, 
But the cops quickly noticed that he only had a tiny, tiny bruise on his head and he had a one quarter inch long cut on his arm. So it doesn't sound. So very, how badly was he? Doesn't attacked. sound very ninja <laughs> attacking. No. Uh, lamest ninja ever. Possibly. Yes. <laughs> I mean, a lot of guys in the 80s dressed up as kung fu. <laughs> like I think that stuff, was right? kind of the trendy. nunchucks and stuff. Right. Okay. Uh, so it's just so absurd. I mean, it's pretty specific lie though, right? It's very specific. Okay. So the cops searched the house, but they couldn't actually get into Timothy's room because in the room he had four Akitas in attack mode. I'm sorry. It's just wait, like an absurd story. Wait a minute. Right. He, he had, had four other Akitas. ninjas? No, Akitas are dogs. Oh, okay. But they're <laughs> almost like kind of German shepherdy type big akita's i mean akita is the dog that was howling when nicole brown simpson was oh, murdered okay so it's a Wait, type of dog who had the dogs the son, the son in his room said, the cops couldn't get into the room because there was four akitas in when attack they got mode there when, when they they're there. investigating they're investigating oh right. my god they actually had to call animal control to come in and remove the dog who has four dogs exactly <laughs> i mean seriously uh according to the autopsy um, the cops, this is like what the cops found. On the yeah. Scene. So this is according to the autopsy report. Susan was lying in bed on her stomach. She was wearing a purple V-neck nightgown. A bra was on the floor next to her bed. Her head was covered with a piece of the bed linen. Uh, the cops noted that blood splatters were on the mirrored walls and ceiling. <laughs> Mirrored walls and ceiling. Mirrored walls and ceiling. Susan was freaky. Susan, Jesus. Uh, it appeared that she had pulled the linen, the bed linens over her head while she was being attacked. Yeah. Uh, when they lifted the linen. Beauty should be good for you. And that's why we're excited to tell you about Beauty Counter. Beauty Counter is a clean makeup and skincare brand that started in 2013, disrupting the beauty industry by shedding the light on the need for stronger ingredient regulations in the personal care products that we use daily. Today, Beauty Counter is the leading clean beauty brand creating innovative and high-performing products that are safer and cleaner than even their like-minded competitors. So what do we mean by clean? Over 1,800 questionable ingredients are never used in Beauty Counter's formulations. They call this their never list. You can learn more at beautycounter.com, where you're also going to want to check out their incredible products. Best of all, if you're a new customer and you order through March 15th, you'll get free shipping on your order of $100 or more when you use the code HOLLYWOOD. Once again, to get free shipping on your order of $100 or more, go to beautycounter.com and use the code HOLLYWOOD. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is easy, getting out of it is hard, especially if your credit score isn't great. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high-interest credit card debt. I know firsthand that there's nothing more frustrating than trying to pay something down and your payments are pretty much just paying off the interest. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you. The best part? Once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards or meet their financial goals. So free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. 
See why Upstart is top ranked in their category with a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash Hollywood to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash Hollywood. They saw Susan with massive head injuries, brain matter, and skull everywhere. Kind of reminds me of Bob Crane. Yeah, type, type it does. Deal. There were no defense wounds, so she did not fight this attack. She was probably sleeping um, on her right. Don't you wake up? This is literally the best uh, detail. I mean, in a horrible situation, obviously. On her right buttock was a partially melted pill that they think she fell asleep on before her attack. I'm sorry. That just seems like something I would do. Like, it's kind of like one of those things where I'm like, ugh, I, I hate the idea of getting murdered because it's like, what stupid thing <laughs> is going to be a clue in my crime scene? Like, the, the real mystery was the pack of crushed Ritz crackers underneath <laughs> the victim's <laughs> pillow where no man had slept in numerous years. Like, what? Like, I just know I'm going to have some dumb fucking clue that's in my crime report and everyone's going to be confused. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm just a fucking. Do you remember that right. time I did the Google search for lettuce and pussy to send to our friend? And that's how you. And gonna... I was like, I'm going to die right now. My last Google search is going to be lettuce and pussy because I'm trying to send a stupid it picture. Was the salad bar. Right. I'm trying to send a stupid picture and now I'm going to die and people will be like, was there lettuce? <laughs> like. Do you know what I mean? You gotta. No, think about I get these it. Things. Mine's gonna, I fucking think of these I, things I all do the time because mine's gonna be while I'm watching Boy Meets World on Hulu. <laughs> um, okay. Anyways, enough about me. Amazing me. Um, shit, I lost my place now because I'm stupid. Okay, so there was a melted pill on her. There's ass. a melted what pill. What kind on of her? pill was it? <laughs> That's not mentioned in the report. Uh, anyways, Roman told the police that he had gone to bed at 9.30 that night, but became hungry about 10 p.m. and went into the kitchen. Did he want pineapple by any chance? <laughs> yes, this is Everything ties together in this one crime. And that's where he encountered the intruder who stabbed him in the arm, the one-quarter-inch stab wound, and hit him in the forehead with a blunt object, and that knocked him unconscious. Okay, we've already talked about the small bruise and the stab wound. Yeah. He woke 30 minutes later and called the police, but he never went into his mother's room, which seems like a weird thing to do. Um, according to... If you get attacked and you wake up, isn't the first thing that you want to do... Is go check and- your beloved mother. Right. <laughs> um, so I mentioned before that Roman did permit the police to search the home, but the dogs were ferocious, so they were unable to. They got the animal control officers in to take away the animals and once they were inside his room the detectives found the alleged murder weapon which was a weightlifting bar so outside without the um the weights on it just like a a, a, like a rod right like a heavy rod and that was hidden in a box of bold three laundry detergent in a hamper i mean this detail is in every report that i've seen and i'm I mean, I guess About if it's laundry? a dumbbell, it's a smaller bar. I'm thinking like a big one. Yeah. So it must be like from a small handheld dumbbell, the the weight bar, because that's not going to fit. That will fit into a laundry. Oh, it was hidden in, in a in a box of laundry detergent. In a box of laundry detergent in the hamper. So it so must it have must been be a small, small dumbbell. One, right. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, the fact that he's like, yeah, sure, go into my room, <laughs> search what you want, had four vicious dogs in there. Like, so he knew damn well. They weren't going to be able to go in there and look at anything. Right. Um, so based on that, based on his very minor injuries, um, 
which was hardly one of the prosecutors eventually said that's hardly the degree of injury one would expect from a death defying battle with a ninja warrior <laughs> i mean i agree it's more absurd than the one-armed man right from the fugitive so uh they took him in for questioning, and I think eventually he kind of copped to some things. I don't know that he actually confessed at this point, but they had enough evidence um, then to charge him with second-degree murder. Okay. So her son is arrested for her murder, uh, and he's put in jail. The family of her, her family actually, and his father, Michael, his like adopted father or whatever stood by him immediately. <clears throat> so it quickly became clear that the attorneys could not say that he didn't do the crime. He quite clearly did the crime. Yeah. So they kind of went down the path of taking a psychological defense. And I have to say, this is probably the best psychological defense that I've ever fucking heard in my life. Let's hear it. I mean, other than that gypsy rose, right? I mean, that was pretty good too, oh, <clears> but she's sorry. put in choice. Okay. So the psychological defense. Um, so at trial, Roman does finally testify to his version of what happened. So this is the first part. He said that his mother awakened him while screaming and not recognizing him. She was calling for her mother, who was still alive, and her name is Elizabeth. Uh, when he attempted to call 911 to get his mom uh, committed or taken into custody to not harm herself or him, that's when... He, she attacked him with the barbell bar and a scalpel. Uh, Roman at that point seized the bar from her and he beat her in the head. Then he tried to hide the bar and scalpel uh, and he created the lie about the ninja masked man coming in and killing the mother. According to him, he didn't think anyone would believe his story, which was that she was mentally ill. But he thought they would believe the ninja story. Sorry. Uh, Roman's defense attorneys said that the client, their client, Timothy, his aggressive reaction to his mother's attack, because it does seem a bit extreme. He didn't try to restrain her. He literally took it and beat the shit out of her. Right. Was due to the drugs that he was taking to counteract his dwarfism and pituitary gland problems. So the mom did beat him. Well, according to him, there's no evidence. Right. Um, it was at this point that extensive court documents were sort of released into court or put into evidence, um, about, uh, Susan's fragile mental condition, uh, her uncapped home. Uh, and then they also put in, put forward evidence about the controversial drugs that she forced her son to take. So this is very Gypsy Rosalie kind of stuff. Right. Um, according to, defense attorney whose name was Chester Lee O. Smith. Uh, the reason Roman was uh, such a fragile and emotional person who kind of took that beating to the next level when he got beat by his mom was because he had spent a life with an overprotective, disturbed mother. Right. Uh, he had a severe growth deficiency that made him dependent on strong medicines that all had dangerous side effects. Side effects. Uh, according to Smith, he described Mr. Roman as probably really an experiment of the human race. Um, so I think we already mentioned they 
he brought in evidence of the filth and chaos and they basically kind of sold that as uh, child abuse. Yeah. Even though he's 23, he had lived in these conditions for at least 11 years. Um, so people describe this as basically like, you know, this sort of like was a movie like she could have been in. Like it was almost sounding like a B movie kind of storyline, right? so... Um, <laughs> over the um, top okay the real controversial medicine that susan basically forced on her son who i have already said was born with a dwarfism born with dwarfism and had only grown to be about four feet tall which i think is the common common height for a dwarf mm-hmm. she put him on steroids and other drugs to stimulate his growth so that at the age of 23 roman was five foot four inches tall and weighing about 135 pounds so she Gave him so much steroids and growth hormone And it did stimulate. He grew one foot and four inches and was basically like a small but regular sized uh, man or a man without dwarfism. That can't be um, good good. (laughs) So according to Smith, they medically added more than a foot onto him. When you force the size of an individual to increase, you also force brain cells to increase. What happens is that doctors are performing a balancing act. I think Roman is a statistic that went bad. Um, he was also treated with another experimental hormone for 15 years that was discontinued when it was linked to neurological disorders in some of the people that it was tested on. Um, all of this treatment and drugs also uh, seemed to stunt him emotionally and mentally, especially when he wasn't on the, the meds. So when he would try to stop taking them yeah he would actually have more trouble with like cognitive thinking and uh, stuff like that he was uh actually in art school and he like i said before he was fascinated with martial arts and self-defense so Um, he was into ninjas he was into that kind of stuff and in his room he actually had tons of posters of bruce lee on his wall um and barbells and weights so he was he was kind of participating in his own growth and being strong and whatever um, people had described him as a, he was a student at Pierce college in Woodland Hills at the time, but they, some of the people testified that when he didn't take his medicine, he was virtually unable to add two digit numbers. So it was really, he was almost damned if he took the medicine, damned if he right. didn't. Uh, so the defense really went hardcore portraying Susan as a Norma Desmond type, like right. really upping her mental. I mean, I guess she was mentally ill. And they had money because she had a lot of investment in oh, real estate. they did have yeah. money. They had like a decent income they that they could live struggling. on. They weren't struggling at all. So the filth and stuff was purely mental illness related. It wasn't that they were poor. Right. They lived in a nice house in Encino in like a perfectly nice neighborhood. She had money from real estate investments and she was also into classic cars and would refinish them and sell them for a lot of money. But this was before... Right. Um, She kind of looks very, um, just like her makeup job in her later years. Oh, yeah. She looks pretty. um, She kind of has the look of like an aging star. Like a Norma Desmond style. Yeah, because it's a bit older with tons of makeup. It's very theatrical. Right. So everything we've said before was entered into evidence, the reclusive hilltop home you know in disrepair like the very great gardens and like t- to see that home next to all the other perfect yeah. little whatever just made all that evidence stand out even more um they also entered into evidence photos where it was literally like 
garbage, clothing just piled to the ceiling, stacks of newspapers, magazines. Um, so it was just like tons of photographic evidence of the life that they were living, which yeah. looked pretty fucking bad. Um, according to the defense attorneys, Cabot actually spoke to her therapist the day of her murder and told him that she wanted to die. Um, so her breakdowns and stuff were hidden from the outside world. As we said before, her, um, neighbors described her as a nice, but different woman. Like no one spoke of this sort of level of mental illness. Um, according to the defense, the condition of the house would indicate that her instability had been developing over a period of time. Yeah. So, um, reams of like medical records were entered into evidence that we already talked about some of them. There was other evidence, um, a pediatrician in 1975 who had, uh, at the time was treating, um, Timothy. I keep wanting to call him Roman. When Um, we say Roman, we're talking about the son, Timothy Scott Roman, uh, who was 11 at the time. Uh, so this pediatrician described him as an emotionally immature, somewhat disturbed child who was having difficulty handling the demands of growing up. Um, another psychologist he went to at some point in the 70s attributed a lot of his troubles to his mother's theatrical behavior. So I guess she was kind of always theatrical and over the top, but it just got worse and worse and worse. Right. Much of the youngster's immature behavior has been inappropriately reinforced by his mother, uh, the psychologist went on to say that she was an actress and tends to be somewhat overly dramatic and overly concerned. So maybe she's a bit of a helicopter parent. This is all very gypsy, that gypsy story, right? I mean, reminds me so much of that. Um, and then I think I mentioned before he had taken that, uh, experimental hormone treatment that was given to about 10,000 patients. Uh, he took that for 15 years. Um, there's a certain disease that that hormone, um, seem to give people like infect them with a virus that causes Kretzfeldt Jacob disease. And that's a disease that can degenerate the central nervous system and uh, had led to several deaths at that time. Um, Smith also stated that, um, parents with children who received the treatment knew of all the risks, but, um, took the chance because they didn't want their kids to be dwarves. So these people, rather than have their kids be dwarves, subjected them to this, to this illness. known illness and known side effects wow. and all this horrible stuff. Right. And so this is something that Susan Cabot did to her son. Now, the prosecution, uh, they... Obviously, they're not going to be able to not agree <laughs> that she was eccentric and emotionally uh, abusive to yeah. her child. Um, but they still were going for, initially a charge of first degree murder um, because she was clubbed while she was lying down uh, dressed only in a purple nightgown. It seemed like, like a premeditated attack rather than what Timothy was saying was sort of like a self-defense or a snapping breaking kind of second degree murder right. thing. Um, they had evidence that the mom and son had been feuding closer towards the end but there was no reason or it wasn't like, oh, financial yeah. problems or gambling debt or anything like that. Um, so uh, I think he was worried that they'd try to plea it down to manslaughter. So the prosecution kind of went full force. Um, but eventually uh, they did 
bring down the charge to voluntary manslaughter because there was no evidence to support premeditation. Right. Um, there was one mistrial too somewhere in there, but it was like for nothing reason. One of the uh, defense attorneys got sick. Um, I think initially the reason they didn't want to go the involuntary manslaughter, according to the prosecutor, was if he flamed out, mean like just snapped and became a rage because of all yeah. of his problems. How do you explain the murder weapon getting from the bedroom in her bedroom to uh, him hiding it? So it's like the cover up kind of made them more like suspicious like of it's uh, what happened. Right. So the charge was taken down to uh, voluntary manslaughter. Um, and then the judge of the case, Darlene Shemp, deliberated basically 10 minutes and then convicted him of involuntary manslaughter. He had already spent two and a half years in jail at that point and was sentenced to three years probation, uh, according to the judge. So he didn't have to go back no, to jail? he didn't go back to jail. There was no question that the defendant loved his mother very much, which I think is a weird thing for a judge to say. Uh there was basically the verdict was delivered 10 minutes after closing arguments. Wow. So there was like no deliberation. And I guess he had a, a, he didn't have a jury. That's what it sounds like. Or maybe when it's a plea, the judge just kind of whatever has to kind of agree to it and move yeah. forward. Um, so at that point, uh, Roman left the courtroom. His grandmother was with him and his father was there too. And they were obviously overjoyed because he's not going to jail. It was sort of all ending at that point. Right. According to Elizabeth, who is Susan's mom, or no, Elizabeth is Michael's mom, the father, the adopted father's mom. Oh, what we have gone through, Timothy and I are just drained. It's time to start a whole new life. We are taking him away from this area and this town. Uh, according to the prosecutor, it was an extremely tough call for the judge to have to make. Um, so... Shrimp was swayed. Shrimp, not shrimp. Shrimp. <laughs> shrimp was swayed by all the testimony about uh, their house, their and house, their living and conditions. the um, abuse and the suicidal and the depression and just the stress of living with someone like that can put on you, yeah. where you're day after day caring for this person who is mentally ill, who's also your mom feeding your mom yeah, and, and feeding, feeding you hormones, hormones and, on top of everything. Yeah. She felt sorry for him basically that he lived in constant fear of his mom. And isn't he only like 25 at this point? Uh, at the end of the trial, I think he was 25. He was 23 when it happened. Yeah. He's um, young. She also explained her shock at looking at the videotapes and pictures of the living conditions. Right. It was beyond my imagination that a person of such success and notoriety at one time could live in such indescribable conditions is what the judge said. Um, so yeah, so he, um, you know, after the fact he did say that he doesn't remember killing her. He does remember lying to the police and hiding the stuff afterwards, but he must've blacked out during the, the incident, which I, I buy. He actually died at the age of 38 wow. in 2003 uh, of heart failure, which I think is probably common in dwarfism and probably with all of his drugs and steroid uses, bad for you too. Yeah. His cremains were scattered at sea. And that is the end of that story. <laughs> That's tragic. <laughs> Isn't that a crazy story? But it is crazy. I, I remember when before we even started this show when we just had like a list of hypothetical episodes we would right. do. I remember um, re like just reading about 
briefly about Susan Cabot and being so like, oh my God. Right. If you go to something to do this where one. you're like looking at like, you know, 10 Hollywood murders, you'll see like little snippet paragraphs. So she'll be on those lists a lot of times, even yeah. though no one's ever heard of her because it is an insane murder. And it's not even that long ago. I mean, it's not. It took yeah. place in the mid 80s. Right. So it's really wild. I think the thing that I remember, because I thing I most remember was the Ninja Warrior from what I read and I stopped right. reading because I'm like, we're going to do that episode yeah. at some point. But I do, that stuck out to me just because it was so absurd and specific. It like, would be a great movie. Like I'm surprised. I'm surprised they haven't done a movie adaptation about her life. Or at least something based on it. Right. Like even if it was a, a, a true crime kind of movie based on this story, because there's so many insane details. Like, I mean, get John Waters on the horn. Seriously. Honestly, to do her right? entire life story. It could be his crimes and misdemeanors, like his serious kind of campy, but sort of dark. Right. Really good. Yeah. But it could go, it could span throughout her whole career. Like. Right. No, I mean, her life seems pretty interesting. There was not a ton of biographical stuff on her. Like, yeah, I looked trying to find some more details. I don't know details. why it wouldn't be. She sounds fascinating. Right. But I do want to watch the movie. We have to watch Wasp Woman. Oh, absolutely. We'll yeah. watch that. But yeah. So that's <sighs> the story of Susan Cabot. I'm, we're going to give you a review of Wasp Woman on Twitter later this week, <laughs> whenever we get around to watching it. Yeah. That could be homework too. I can hand out homework. Yeah, watch Wasp Woman. We have two homework assignments this week. Yeah. We have Watch Wasp Woman. And the other one is See My Boyfriend's New Movie. It's called Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And we just saw it last night. It's really good. Also, check out all of our social media pages, including our fun yeah. Facebook uh, fan group or friend group, whatever. Yeah. It's not our fan page, which we're thinking about deleting just so there's no confusion. Right. This is definitely more interactive. People are sharing stories, talking about cases. Asking questions yeah. about the show. And we, we're on there pretty much every day, I think. At least yeah. at some point. We're active on there. We're active on there. It's so if you want to chit-chat with us about crime and crime-related things, it's what is it? Hollywood Crime Scene Friends. friends. Right. Hollywood Crime Scene Friends. So just send us a request and we have to approve you. Yeah. It's going to keep the riffraff out. I don't know. That's we how, approve that's how groups. That's how groups work. So, right. But yeah, it's definitely more fun and you can kind of share our pictures and videos, links to stories. You can tell us stories you'd love to hear on the show. It's it's getting fun in there, I think. I like that it's group. It's a good group, yeah. I like hearing um, people's thoughts. Yeah, and stuff. check out our Twitter and our Instagram. And our Patreon. Oh, yeah. Duh. 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 Yeah, check out our Patreon. We do have... Uh, weekly bonus episodes for $5 Patreon contributors. And we have a ton fun. of them stacked up. Yeah. So you have like a ton of stuff to listen to. So yeah, that's cool. It. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.